0: The Zaddy Zone. Welcome to the Zaddy Zone. Zaddy Zone. Welcome to the Zaddy Zone. Ooh. So I got myself a Soma Vedic in the house. I got it about a month ago, and I want to tell you about it because I find this stuff absolutely fascinating. The Soma Vedic is this little circular, colorful thing that you plug in, and it creates a harmonic field in your environment, reaching 100 feet in all directions, penetrating through walls and floors, etc. Now, why do I have this thing plugged in? Well, it's to help me mitigate the effects of EMFs um, coming from, you know, uh, electronics or Wi-Fi, etc. Now, this thing does not block EMFs, but rather supports the body and helps Bring it back into equilibrium from the negative effects of EMFs. You know, lowers blood pressure, heart rate variability, blood oxygen levels, cellular regeneration, and restructures water, the water that you drink, which improves absorption and hydration. But this little thing can improve sleep, focus, energy levels, moods, it even lowers free radical levels, so many customers who suffer from headaches and migraines report significant improvement. There's a 60-day money-back guarantee, risk-free, 5-year warranty, and if you're interested in the science, which is what fascinates me, you can go ahead and I'll put a link to it right here, and you can see the images of water and blood before and after it has been exposed to the Soma Vedic. This stuff is super cool, and as I learn more about the possible harms of EMFs, I'm so happy that I have one in my house. Visit SomaVedic.com and use code Zaddy at checkout to save 10% off your purchase. That is SomaVedic, S-O-M-A-V-E-D-I-C.com and use code Zaddy for 10% off. Love you. G'day, Doc. What's up? <laughs> How are you?
1: I'm doing great. I uh, I was partially expecting you to come on in full costume of- um Of a lion. Something else. Not Not that I'm disappointed, but-
0: no, it is, it is Halloween. It is Halloween, but you have to consider that I dress up every day of the year. True. So Halloween is just not special for me. But I love your setup here. You, you're clearly an intellectual who's not a vegan. No. How did you know? <laughs> because there's a skull, a, a skull over the top away? of your head.
1: <laughs> oh my god! You saw that here. There you go. This is true. This is very offensive to people.
0: Wow. Yes. How dare you? Cool, right? yeah. How dare you? Where Where are you in the world?
1: So I'm right outside of New York City. Uh We are, my husband is just finishing his last year in medical school. So he was in the military for a decade and uh, now in a second career finishing med school. So we're right outside New York City.
0: Incredible. Okay, well, let me introduce you and we'll get right into it. Here we go. Dr. Gabrielle Lyon received her doctorate of osteopathic medicine and is board certified in family medicine. She has her undergraduate degree in human nutrition from studying vitamin and mineral metabolism, chronic disease prevention and management, and the physiological effects of diet composition. She also completed a research-slash-clinical-fellowship In Nutritional Science and Geriatrics at Washington University in St. Louis, Dr. Gabby motivates people at any age to reach their fullest potential with the principles of muscle-centric medicine. Is that a good intro? You like that?
1: Yeah, yeah. It's pretty good. good. So you know what? Thank you. Appreciate it.
0: Here's the thing about longevity and the discussion around longevity that I always hear. People are always talking about how to live longer, but they're not talking about how to live better that is like oh how to live a long time and probably look like a mole rat by the end of your life and um totally. i think even there's a there's a you know a longevity expert that we both know who who loves the mole rat because they live for a long period of time but i don't want to be a mole rat i want to live for a long time and thrive doing it how necessary is muscle for that process
1: it's essential it's the only way and You bring up a really good point. When we think about longevity experts, there's probably five big longevity experts in this space, Mm -hmm. and they get a lot of publicity, and there's a lot of discussion and things like restricting dietary protein, and, you know, it's not that muscle doesn't matter, but really there's only two ways to stimulate muscle, and that's dietary protein and training. So Mm -hmm. if you're eliminating one half of that equation, you're really going to struggle But going back to this longevity concept, there's five, maybe five main experts that kind of flood the market. But if you ask a trained geriatrician or anybody else, hundreds of other clinicians and thousands of other scientists within the space, nobody is arguing that, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And I I think perspective and narrative is really essential to highlight, uh, especially as these Choices that we make midlife have the potential to be a life or death decision. And I I mean, I know that that may be um, extreme, but ultimately what you do and how you build muscle determines how you age.
0: Death is inevitable. So it's more of a bad life or a good life situation. Mm -hmm. Like it's like, do you want to thrive or do you want to be fragile?
1: Yeah. You know, I love that you actually bring that up. I think that one of the pushes to focus so much on longevity is actually the fear of death.
0: Mm. Yes.
1: And I think from an intellectual perspective, everybody is trying to do all these little things as opposed to focusing on some of the core fundamental things like build muscle, eat dietary protein, be strong, be resilient mm-hmm. against the environment or the perception of stress. These kinds of things rather than um, take your resveratrol or uh, restrict protein in the middle, like whatever it is.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I, I do believe actually perhaps it is a, a, a fundamental fear of death.
0: Yeah, you mentioned before, um, at around middle age, how vital it is to be starting to build muscle or to be building muscle at that age. What do you consider mid, mid-age?
1: Great question. Uh, this is a great question. We know that as hormones change, typically around your 30s, that the tissue has the potential to change. I say this in absolutes, but perhaps it's not absolutes. Perhaps that we are up against a very sedentary lifestyle. Mm-hmm. So as I speak in absolute, saying, okay, at 30, your testosterone is lower. Um, you maybe are not driven by insulin as much as it relates to growth. And, and perhaps insulin is going to make your waistline grow wider versus uh, grow taller. And I think that we, while we discuss midlife, it, it, it's around 30. Um, but could that be 35? Could it be 40 where these hormones kind of drop off? It, you know, there's definitely a range.
0: Yeah, so essentially at a, at a time when our hormones are starting to change, essentially drop off. Like when testo- at a certain age for a man like myself, I'm 35, testosterone starts to <clears throat> go down. And we know that like around, you know, in menopause and like later on in life mm-hmm. that muscle really starts to deplete. Hormones really start to taper off. And I think you've mentioned before um, that for women in particular, it can be a really dangerous thing if they don't have enough muscle. I heard you say yeah. yesterday that like uh, for women of a certain age, if they fall and break their hip, they have a 50% chance of walking again. Can you clarify yeah. that?
1: The, so the um, 65 and older, one of the leading causes of death is a fall. Mm. And I mean, think about it here, a 65 and up, one of the number one leading causes of death is directly related to muscle mass. Uh, And listen, someone could say, well, you could fall because you have a stroke, you could fall uh, for numerous reasons. But ultimately, you know, from clinical experience, typically it is um, issues with leg weakness, issues with proprioception, issues with low muscle mass, issues with instability and balance and things that could have been trained up. Um, Of course, that's not going to protect all falls. But Mm -hmm. uh, if an individual falls and breaks their hip, their trajectory of life, for the most part, is very poor. Yeah.
0: yeah. So we're saying that, like, muscle is kind of like a it, 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 to prevent people from falling. You need muscle in order to balance, but you also need muscle. Is it kind of like an armor? I suppose. You like, too. if you fall, there's yeah. something to, there to protect you.
1: Yeah. Uh, I like to think about muscle. You know, oftentimes we think about muscle in this fitness capacity when we're young we think about it as it relates to athletes and performance and and that's all valuable my perspective on muscle doesn't really relate to that uh, mm. it really is from a medical perspective muscle as medicine thinking about its metabolic properties its its role in protecting an individual and preventing disease. You mentioned muscle as body armor, absolutely, in more ways than one. So there's the physical body armor if you fall, and one could arguably say fat also plays a role in that. But the other part about it is it is the amino acid reservoir in the body. So what does that mean? That means that if you fall and break a hip and you're in the hospital, your body is going to need to consume something, right? Right. And your body typically will leverage the skeletal muscle mass you have first. Um, It does require those amino acids for protein turnover and rebuilding and repairing all tissues in the body. So muscle, um, you know, we know that the more muscle mass, the more healthy muscle you have, the better your survivability against nearly all diseases.
0: Yeah. What does it do for your immune system?
1: Muscle is uh, above and beyond this tissue that we think about for exercise. So skeletal muscle is muscle that we have under voluntary control, which is amazing. We actually can think about an organ and move it. And I, you know, I can't think of another organ. Is there another organ that we can do? That way it's like, I mean, I guess the heart, but not really, mm-hmm. perhaps the diaphragm. But di- the direct voluntary control is unusual and makes the skeletal muscle under our direct control, meaning when you contract it, you have the potential to interface with the immune system. And this is data out of uh, Pedersen's lab. And she is, I think in Copenhagen now, she was the leader, right? Really the the person that brought this to light, that exercising muscle releases uh, myokines. Myokines are these proteins that spread throughout the body. And the literature would suggest that there's perhaps a hundredfold increase in these myokines in particular, one called interleukin six. Now, people have heard of interleukin 6 as it relates to a cytokine storm right these inflammatory markers that go up and then oh my gosh you're you're a disaster zone but what's so interesting is these cytokines are released from cells of the immune system on one hand right that can actually create an inflammatory state in the body they're also released in skeletal muscle and when they are released from skeletal muscle they have a, a counter-regulatory effect in the body. So it can modulate or dampen or temperate, make a, the immune response a bit more temperate. And this is very interesting in the way that you can leverage skeletal muscle to lower immunity and, and even autoimmunity. And autoimmunity is when the body begins to attack itself. But for uh, autoimmune rheumatic disease, there's there's room for skeletal muscle and exercise as a treatment.
0: Right, well- Inflammation is the cause of most disease, maybe all disease. I wouldn't know, right?
1: I mean, low grade inflammation definitely contributes.
0: Right. And so what you're telling me is exercise and and muscle helps to dampen the effects of that inflammation.
1: Yes. It's pretty cool.
0: That is, that's quite cool.
1: Um, What I think is really cool is that the body is designed for exercise we were a sedentary state is essentially an unhealthy state. The idea that we leverage exercise, we're actually genetically designed for it is a, a way in which the body, uh, creates a homeostatic regulation, bringing itself back into balance. And it's optional, which is crazy.
0: Right. So we are designed to move basically.
1: Yeah. And yes, we were designed to move and, uh, I, I believe, from a genetic standpoint, we were designed to move. As it relates to longevity and protection of the the being, so you know, there's all these states and, and discussions about um, you know healthy sedentary individuals. Like if you look in the literature, <laughs> like that's you know, it's this funny new thing: the healthy sedentary individual. There's absolutely no such thing.
0: Right? It is funny because you don't think about that. Well, we all we always talk about what our ancestors were doing when they were chasing down deer. And we all always think about, you know, the way that they were exercising in order to do that. We And then we think about them eating that deer and how necessary that was for them. They were eating meat, they were eating protein, they were eating organs, but we don't often talk about <clears throat> how important it was for their bodies to be doing that movement in the first place.
1: Yeah. Can you imagine if we actually had to go pick almonds and like crack those nuts <laughs> Yeah, I mean, uh, have you ever seen that? Like, our chestnut—that's not going to happen. Yes, I, I mean, we
0: might get good at climbing trees.
1: <laughs> yeah, that is, that is true. So you know, these are just we'd some be de-evolving.
0: That- <laughs> we'd be going back to the monkeys.
1: Yeah, it's it's just so it's so interesting to think about uh, where our food comes from and this this idea and discussion that people talk about. Um, you should eliminate or limit an entire food group makes no, no sense whatsoever. It's crazy. You know, I've been in this space for a long time and these discussions that we're having now were never like that. This this wasn't, these were not issues.
0: Yeah. It's kind of like the loudest voices from the, either side of the extremes have gotten louder and louder. Always. You know, um, the extreme carnivores uh, and the extreme vegans, It's just – it's really insane. If if ever there is um, a riotous comment section around diet, it's undoubtedly begun by an angry vegan. It's just always the way. They're incredibly ideological. They're really dedicated to what they believe in.
1: Yeah. You know, um, the history of nutrition has always been that way. Um, You know, back in – gosh – the original vegan group, I think is this guy named S- uh, Sylvester Graham, and they were called Grammites. And they believed that this guy, he actually ended up dying at 57, but he was very vocal in this space. And one of the things was that you shouldn't eat meat because it would increase your sexual desire. You should eat graham crackers. That's actually where graham crackers came from in a, in a push against masturbation. Right. Um, and it was using food as a way to be morally sound and that is is so unusual when you think about it. it's really the only science that uses you know it's it's like weird nutritional science and morality are are often combined you know it's a, it's very unusual
0: yeah i know i i know who i'd rather have a beer with <laughs> um and it isn't graham um and it isn't kellogg they're yeah. all uh, kellogg was involved in that too wasn't yes.
1: he yes yeah this was the idea that people should be more vegetarian, eat more grains, and uh, and those kinds of things.
0: Yeah, for everyone listening out there, this is actual history that you can go and look up if you want. The Gramites uh, and and Kellogg designed diets for because they believed that the libido was and the male libido in particular was the big biggest problem with society that these rich foods were um, essentially causing sexual sin. And so they designed an entire food, py- I guess they they, des- they kind of designed the food pyramid in a way that bottom section of the pyramid is always full of carbohydrates. If you look at a food pyramid mm-hmm. and that was, that's their doing. Um, so this is, this isn't conspiracy. You can go and look this up. Yeah. It's actually insane, but they were trying to design you to be less sexual.
1: You know, it's this, the, again, this anti-animal narrative goes deep and it's, Every, I don't know, every 40, 50 years, there's a new narrative about, okay, it's bad for the environment, which we know it's, that's a smoke screen. This environmental conversation is a complete smoke screen for big industry and fossil fuel. You know, you can't eat your way out of climate change. You just can't. It's, it's interesting.
0: Yep. From an ethical standpoint, vegans will often claim, well, nobody died for my salad. No animal died. It's like, actually more animals died for your right. salad than died for my steak. One animal died for my steak. you're eating a salad with uh, asparagus, avocado, lettuce, there may be about 40 different animals that have died for that crop. Mm. So uh, I call bullshit.
1: (laughs) Um, You know, I I think ultimately – Ultimately, what is going to have to happen is we all have to agree that we have a globe to feed, right? There is a massive population that we have to feed. And in some regard, the fact that an individual would get access to high quality food is a luxury and and a gift and it shouldn't, you know, you know, in other countries, it's sacred, it's important, it's nutritious. So.
0: Absolutely. So let's pivot to Protein, because we're talking about it, and how much protein we should be eating as individuals every day. I'd love to hear what you yeah. think about that.
1: Well, we can start off with the the RDA. So the recommended, which is recommended dietary allowance uh, here in the US is 0.8 grams per kilogram, which is very low. And that is the bare minimum to prevent deficiencies in 97.5% of the population. That's too low. Uh, they haven't changed the recommendation since the 70s. So that's weird. They should wow. be changed, and eventually that will happen. The data would suggest that, that double that, really, for more optimization. Again, these recommendations are based off of nitrogen balance studies, which are 18-year-old men. So 18-year-old kids, <laughs> one gram per pound ideal body weight, I think, is much more valuable for an individual for optimization that may be on the higher end. Individuals can titrate down or even up if they want, depending on their goals. I think uh, we have to think, what is the end goal in mind? And if they have issues with body weight, are they overweight? You know, do they want to build muscle? Any of those things. But one gram per pound, ideal body weight is a great place to start for everybody.
0: Wow, that's, that's great advice. So I think about me, I'm 220 pounds. 220 220- 220 grams of protein a day, you know, can I tell you, I've really been focusing on my protein in a crazy way over the last six months, let's just say. And I find it to be actually, um, <clears throat> you've got to be conscious of it. You've got to be actively thinking about the amount of pro- like eating protein and eating enough protein. So let's talk about ways in which we can get enough of that protein in. It has to be nu- f- through nutrient dense foods.
1: Yeah. And, and by the way, Could you talk a bit go about go a that? little bit lower. So how tall are you, Luke?
0: I'm six foot five.
1: Oh my god, so tall! Yeah, that's a yeah. yeah, very tall. Um, you could probably go lower in protein. You probably don't need 220 grams, but it's a great place to start. So, for example, if you wanted to reduce it to 200 grams, you you would be just fine. The question is, where else would you get your calories from? Um, again, you don't struggle mm. with body composition issues. It doesn't seem like you have any of those issues. But you know, for the listener, they can go above that and below it, we haven't really seen any detrimental effects on the higher ends. So in terms of what are practical ways individuals can get protein, I I think that whole food sources are fantastic. And that is, you know, beef, bison, chicken, fish, eggs, dairy. Dairy is good. It can be higher in fat, but, you know, Greek yogurt. I know there's a lot of people that don't like dairy, but we actually eat a lot of dairy here. Um, So there's that. And then a whey, yep. if someone is going to do a shake, I think whey protein shakes are great, uh, very valuable. Yep. There's immunoglobulins in them. Whether they get it and have any systemic effect, I don't know. But uh, as a food matrix, whey protein can be great. And then the other thing, protein has lactoferrin and alpha-lactalbumin. And it has uh-huh. these bioactive compounds that can be good for the immune system, could be good for gut health. Um, but again, uh, remains to be seen. But those are... Those are some potential benefits.
0: Well, it would kind of depend on the quality of the whey, wouldn't it? Because there is whey itself. Like if you were to take whey from a, a cheese maker, there would probably be uh, probiotics in that whey, which is like fresh whey. But then the way that you're getting down at, you know, your vitamin store may not have all those enzymes, it's true. right? It's
1: true, right? So it would probably be um, product specific uh -hmm. and if it's you know depending on how it's uh processed is it yeah depending on on probably the processing
0: and then how why do you recommend a whey protein over like a soy protein or a pea protein
1: um i know that you know this answer but the uh the listener (laughs) may uh want to know this answer and it's you know we don't see those isolated proteins exist in nature And I do have concerns, you know, I'm a clinician and and I do have concerns of what that looks like over a decade to two decades of use of these plant-based proteins that, you know, we know that, for example, pea protein has, it has estrogen-like activity. It doesn't have estrogen, but it has estrogen-like activity. And in these high concentrations, um, again, it doesn't exist in nature. So I'm not saying that it's bad because, you know, we don't really know. We don't, it hasn't been around that long. But mm-hmm. it, it always concerns me when we're now introducing foods that don't exist in, in a fashion that don't exist in nature. I don't think anything ever good comes from that. It's like a Franken yeah. food. Um, I think that we have to be cautious.
0: Yeah, I'm, I think for everyone listening, what Gabby's talking about is if you take some pea protein powder and eat the amount of peas, actual peas, that it would take to get that amount of protein, that would be an unnatural amount of peas to eat. Aka, you were not supposed to get your protein from peas. Nature never designed it that way. Yeah. You were designed probably to get your nature your your protein from dairy, meat, etc. Yeah. So to eat, it would it would take it takes a lot. Let me just say this: it takes a lot of quinoa. It takes a lot of peas to be able to get your uh, your
1: right.
0: daily recommended amount of protein. It's really hard to do that.
1: Yeah, and then the other the other thing is that we're now isolating the protein from peas and taking it out of actually the whole food, and that's weird.
0: And it's a whole process, right?
1: It's it's processed, yeah. It's and listen, yeah. you know, is it okay to eat processed foods? I think that probably we could argue that lots of things are quote processed, but yep. when we are eating foods that are new to the human in the way that it is, it's we it's uh, makes me uncomfortable as a physician who's uh, dedicated their life to making sure that people are healthy and it's my responsibility. It's, it's uncomfortable for sure. And we don't know the long-term effects, you know, and the other thing that I worry about is right. as we spread the message about how individuals should reduce animal based products, I do worry about the generation that is susceptible to that information, the millennial generation that really is susceptible during their grow, their peak growing years. Um, I, I definitely have concerns about that.
0: Right. So right. Like for me as a millennial, it's right now, it's like between 30 and 50, let's just say yeah. to be actively concentrating on your protein intake and your muscle. Right. Yeah. That's what you're talking about.
1: Yeah. And you know, the, the, the concept that it's not going to get easier, right? It's how do we plan for the inevitable illness or injury? Cause it's going to happen. It's an unfortunate truth and it's a bit depressing and, and perhaps there's, there's maybe a bit negative, but the truth is it's going to happen and how yeah. you plan for that it's not if it's it's when and that's the reality of it so you got to you got to plan for that period of decline
0: yeah i mean it certainly wouldn't be a good idea for anybody you know my mom is a nurse or was a nurse at a nursing home for most oh. of my life yeah um and so you know putting people at that age on a low protein diet would be a bad idea putting my my toddler at 2 on a low-protein diet would be a bad idea. Mm-hmm. So, like, it's I, – and I always think of it this way. I look at the way that my toddler eats, and I'm like, well, why wouldn't I feed myself like that? If we know that it's so necessary for toddlers to get enough protein and enough fat, why would we think as adults that we don't need to do that?
1: Makes no sense, you know, right? It, I mean, yeah, the argument would be, like, we're not growing, but the reality is, is we do go through tissue turnover. The body replaces easily 250 grams of protein a day, right? It's constantly going wow. through protein turnover. And – you also have to maintain healthy muscle and, and that, that's critical. It's critical and just healthy yep. tissue in general, key.
0: I think about you often, which is a strange thing to say to a fellow human being who you're not married to, but I, I think about you often when I drink my protein shake, because um, I used to have a shake and blend a shake with milk and berries and things like that and protein. But now I don't do that. I just have water and protein yeah. and I took that from you. Okay. Why do I do that? I actually don't Um, even know why I do it. I just listen to you.
1: I like that. I would say that the first meal of the day is is most valuable. So if you're doing that for the first meal of the day, I I tend to keep the carbohydrates lower for that first meal of the day. The first meal where you're coming out of an overnight fast is the muscle Mm. uh, is primed for metabolic activity in terms of muscle protein synthesis. So first meal of the day, dietary protein is ideal. And uh, I, I suppose a shake is easier to get and hopefully you're drinking it at one time as opposed to sipping it throughout the day so that you get that uh, boost in amino acids. The other thing is mm-hmm. that you do have to earn your carbohydrates. There is this, this thought that, you know, carbohydrates can be thought of in a 24-hour period. I, I don't necessarily agree with that. I think about discrete meals for all foods and that includes protein and carbohydrates and i think a a good thing for the listener is perhaps if it's not around exercise recovery 50 grams of carbohydrates or less per meal is a great strategy notice i said 50 grams or less so um there's plenty of room if an individual likes to eat carbs but again it it really is about how much activity what is their metabolic flexibility and and can they manage Mm
0: -hmm. yeah that's a really good point carbohydrates uh Particularly for people who are very active, yeah, are fantastic. And I usually, what I usually do for anybody out there listening is, I usually place my carbohydrates around my activity. Perfect. So after a good big workout, I'll usually have some fruit or a bowl of white rice with my beef, and um, I think that's a good way of thinking about it. It's like replacing glycogen in the muscles it might be necessary to have some carbohydrates.
1: Yeah, I, I am definitely not anti-carbohydrate. I'm uh, anti-carbicide, which would be obviously a ton of carbohydrates depending on what someone's yeah. calorie load is or need.
0: It is an important distinction because w- w- when we talk about carbohydrates, we're going be talking about fruit, great sourdough, white rice, and um, – that's what we think is great. Carbohydrates are awesome and a yeah. and great fuel for the body. But when, when when we demonize carbs, which we do it from time to time, we're probably we're really demonizing the trash junk, highly processed yeah. carbohydrate, you know, the sugary cereal, frosted flakes.
1: I found those in my cabinet. What? Frosted flakes. I found frosted flakes in my cabinet.
0: Who put them there? My husband. You? Can
1: you? No. Can you believe that? I come home. i gone for a weekend in Sacramento. I come home. There's frosted flakes in my cabinet. Can you believe
0: it? It's a childhood thing, surely, I for literally him.
1: literally made him throw it. I could not believe it. Not that it's like, the, you know, he's like, I'm running a marathon. I'm running the New York marathon. I'm like, honey, why are there frosted flakes and Cheerios in the house? The kids cannot do this. Like, what have you yes. done? But anyway, yeah.
0: I feel the same about seeing, like, when I see, like, canola oil in my friend's like those clear plastic, like yeah. jugs of oil. Yeah. When I see that in my friend's thing, I'm like, I'm, th- I'm sorry, I'm going to throw that out for you.
1: We're going to upgrade avocado oil.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, get some olive oil in there. Let- let's talk about uh, lifting and how often a person should mm. be lifting. So, daily recommended intake, according to you, you know, a good general rule of thumb is to think about how many pounds of body weight you have and then match that in grams of protein. Let's talk about lifting because we've got to put that.
1: Yeah, for sure. I've thought a lot about this, um, especially even more recently. Um, you know, there's this concept of, you know, what are you training for? Are you training for strength, hypertrophy? Is there some of this strength hypertrophy continuum? Great, great paper by Brad Schoenfeld uh, that recently come out. You know, I think it depends on a lot of different things. I will say as a broad general recommendation, three to four days a week, I think is great. I think that... um, Again, it depends on what your goals are. If you are looking for strength versus hypertrophy, I think that there's probably an importance for both. Again, you know, when I think about hypertrophy, I think about creating more space for glycogen storage. I don't, you know, my uh, mentor, Dr. Donna Lehman, thinks that that's a terrible idea. So he's totally, this is the first thing that we really disagreed on. And then, of course, you know, understanding strength as it relates to prevention of sarcopenia. Because really, it's not Mm. about the amount of mass per se, although it is. It is. So I I think that when when we think about training, here's how I think about it. I think about endurance type training for mitochondrial function, um, and obviously, utilization of substrates, meaning carbohydrates and uh, fatty acids. And then I think about anaerobic training, which is somewhat of a you know, combo between high-intensity interval and sprint interval training. And then I think about hypertrophy strength training. And I know that they're not the same thing, but I, I really think about it really in terms of hypertrophy. So it's it's those three domains when I think about training. When I think about hypertrophy, I think three to four days a week. Again, uh, what is hypertrophy? It's really focusing on getting the muscles bigger. But again, as you contract skeletal muscle, you create flux. And when I mean flux, I mean flux of, say, the fatty acids in the muscle, flux of the glycogen in the muscle, flux of the storage. Nutrients in the muscle. And that's actually mm-hmm. critical. So, actually, to flux that out and to have flux so that you don't get a static environment within that tissue is really important.
0: You're essentially using all of those nutrients, yes. all those amino acids and glycogen, right?
1: And fatty acids. And you've got, yes, you should create that flux. That's really important. And that's why a sedentary muscle can become so unhealthy. And that's why I believe that these diseases of aging really begin decades earlier. You know, you can see it in 18 year old individuals who are non sedentary. Uh, You do see insulin resistance, which is simply the body's inability to be sensitive to insulin, which is a hormone that comes out of the pancreas to move glucose into Mm -hmm. the the cells. So resistance training or strength training, hypertrophy work three to four days a week. And then I do think endurance training is important. A lot of people kind of would argue against that. But again, I'm not coming from a perspective of um, performance. I'm really thinking about aging and longevity. And I believe that there should be, uh, and I say this, like I cringe when I say this, should there be 150 minutes of moderate to vigorous aerobic activity a week? I mean, that's the recommendation. I think that if you're lifting appropriately, you might not need to do that. But uh, I would recommend, depending on where someone is, and then, this seems a little bit robust, one session of some kind of hitting that peak heart rate. Um, and that yeah. would be, and people can build up to it cause it, it's very uncomfortable and that would be sprint interval training, but people can build up to and get used to doing that.
0: Yeah. That's fantastic. Okay. So three to four days a week of, um, lifting and lifting heavy things. And then, um, 150 minutes, let's just say of, which sounds like a lot, but in a week, it's not that much. So
1: 30 minutes, five days a week,
0: 30 minutes, five days a week of moderate. Like, it's like, what about a fast walk?
1: Yeah. Yeah, you could do that. You could do that. Listen, I don't do 150 minutes. So I am saying something that I know is the recommendation, but I don't actually do it. So I don't do that. I I do heavy three days a week. I do some kind of dynamic movement. I do some kind of, um, you know, I'm working towards the sprint interval training. I don't have a a great engine right now. So I'm doing more high Uh intensity interval training. um, And then some form of cardiovascular activity.
0: Yeah. Great. Yeah. I highly recommend walking and walking at a pace. If you can put a a weighted vest on or something like that, do that. If you don't have that, don't worry about it. Go for a walk at a pace that's fast. If somebody's with you and you're struggling to talk, you're doing really well. If you're struggling to breathe just only out of your nose and you really want to breathe out of your mouth that's great. That's like a good sign that you're in a good zone, the zone two, which is fantastic for the brain, not only the body. Yeah. I've just got this thing called a Carol bike. I don't know if you know about this, yeah, but it gives you, it's a five minute workout. Oh, yeah. So I do two 20 second sprints within that time. It's fantastic. I mean, you know, the great thing about a bike doing those type of sprints is that it's a somewhat of a controlled environment. It's very hard to injure yourself doing a 20 second sprint on a bike. Whereas a run, if you if you're Bodies maybe not quite up to that a 20 second sprint run is like a lot for a lot of people
1: yeah absolutely i've injured myself doing that uh but the carol bike is great it's been used for a very long time um and you can gauge metrics you can see how far you're pushing and then how you improve which is when you think about uh training and you think about improvement it's it's really good also it sets a standard for where you should be
0: yeah, I love that. Okay, so we've talked about how important muscle is for longevity. We've talked about eating enough protein. We've talked about lifting weights. Is there anything else you want to mention? What it-
1: uh, a lot of the myths around dietary protein is—is is, you know, if you really take a step back, protein, like animal-based protein, would be the the demise of all humankind. So you'll hear it's going to give you cancer. It's going to destroy the environment. It's going to destroy your bones, possibly your kidneys. Uh, And and it's going to kill you earlier. So basically, eating this food that we have been eating since the beginning of time is going to lead to our demise. Uh, We've been doing pretty well so far. So uh, if I can briefly, there is no high quality evidence that protein causes cancer. just doesn't exist. There is also no high quality evidence that protein causes kidney disease in fact there's multiple meta-analyses that have come out uh, which is a group of studies high quality studies that look at data um, over a period of time that would say that Mm -hmm. that's not true protein is necessary for bone (laughs) like dietary protein you need it for bone so i think that and then obviously the environmental smokescreen issue so those are the handful of Arguments that individuals would hear that I would say there's absolutely no truth behind other than a lot of uh, media push,
0: yeah, yeah. I want to ask you actually, you look fantastic i I see your Instagram I saw you lifting the other day. What are you doing? what's your what's your vibe? I think it's a great question to ask is like we're always talking about well, in general, this is good to do. I don't know about your specific circumstance. Well, we know about your specific circumstance. And you're killing it. So what What are you doing? You've got two kids and a, and a husband, right? So you're a busy person and so you're a doctor.
1: A we He's not quite two. So he's like 19 months.
0: I've got a two-year-old. I didn't know that. And okay, I have beautiful. a three-year-old.
1: So oh, I have wow. a two-year-old okay. and, a, and a three-year-old. And um, yeah, and my husband is in full-time medical school. And I run a, a full-time concierge medical practice, just finished a book. Traveling, speaking all the time, doing a lot. Like there's a lot going on. I will say I'm very disciplined. Wow. So don't, I don't miss stuff. I don't make excuses for myself. Um, I get up early and it sucks. I usually get up early and before the kids get up and train. And also somewhat somewhat unfair, my husband's a Navy SEAL, was a Navy SEAL for a decade. So he's already up. Wow. So it's nice that I have a partner that is, you know, calling me lazy if I'm not up at four. But uh <laughs> throat punch him. But anyway, uh, so I get up early and I train early and I'm very consistent and, uh, mm. I'm always looking to do the next thing. So I just finished a book. So now I'm getting back into CrossFit and I'm going to be getting into jujitsu, Brazilian jiu-jitsu, which is something that my husband does. So, um, very active, but the, the core fundamental components of the workout will be lifting again, that cardiovascular activity, which I'm I'm working on building up and then a high intensity interval type session and then some other kind of activity that's fun.
0: Mm, Got it. And are you you doing cold and sauna?
1: No, no. I mean, I do have a sauna, which I love, but I haven't had time to do it. You know, and the reality is everyone's like, sleeps. Yeah, sleep's important. But I I think that if you know that there's cycles of pushing, that you have to embrace that there's a, a battle rhythm to a human and... When I'm in a push cycle, I'm not doing the extra stuff. like I'm not doing an ice bath or I'm not I'm not doing the other things. My diet is tight, my training is tight, mm-hmm. and my discipline is tight. And I'm very aware that I need to be even even keeled, right? I'm not too pumped up and I'm not too low. I'm not, you know I'm emotionally in control. So I think that that's that's really important because again, there's there's battle rhythms. And then when I have more time, I can't wait to get back into the sauna. I can't wait to do all this other stuff, but Uh, For right now, no.
0: Three of your favorite supplements that you feel you couldn't live without.
1: Three of my favorite supplements. um, Those change, by the way. They change uh, all the time. So I would say uh, right now, fish oil. Um, I'm really big into this compound called urolithin A. But I I can live without all supplements, right? I should be able to live Mm -hmm. and eat. And the third one, I would say vitamin D, especially going into winter.
0: Yeah. What's urolithin A?
1: Urolithin A is really cool. So urolithin A has effect on mitophagy, which is the impact on the mitochondria, the mitochondrial renewal, mitochondria cleaning. It's like autophagy, but for mitochondria. And um, there's a group, and again, there's not a, a ton of different groups doing work on this compound, but it's a compound that is in pomegranates, in raspberries, and it is a... Gut microbiome precursor almost. And so 40% of the population doesn't even make it. But you can yes. ingest it, and it's been shown for older individuals uh, to help with mitochondria and strength. And um, it's just an interesting compound where I'm liking the data that I'm starting to see on it.
0: Where are you getting that from Motto? What's it called? Motto Life or something? Uh,
1: Mito Pure. Mito Pure, yeah. But there's multiple Mito-Pure. companies that I love, but I, I love Mito I think that they, they're one of the original people. Um, and they've got a handful of really good scientists in there, which is cool.
0: I think that they're based in Switzerland.
1: They are. Yeah. Uh, yeah.
0: I met the, I met the CEO on Friday night. I just happened to, have, I met him. You guys um, just
1: happened to be in a Mido just like, Hey dude, what do you do? Oh, it yeah, was like- kind of
0: a health, health people hangout, um, which sounds really nerdy, but you know, we as healthy as health well, and wellness individuals, we're always liking each other's posts and we never see each other. And so a Junaid Kalmati, who runs Farmer's Juice, got a bunch of health and wellness people together. And I met That's the cool. CEO, who's a lovely person. But tell me about uh, your book. When can we buy it? What's it about?
1: Well, no surprise. It is about muscle. It's its mm-hmm. really about being strong at any age. And it's yeah. about muscle and protein and really goes uh, in the opposite direction of what you're hearing in the current longevity space. And it's evidence-based. Uh, and that goes on pre-sale in February. And then the book actually doesn't even come out until September. So I'm pumped about that.
0: Okay, excellent. Um, well, send me a copy. And then next, how do we follow you and keep in touch with you?
1: And by the way, I also have a podcast. Have you listened to my podcast? That's very informative. I
0: want to hear about that. I want to hear about that. So I, uh, I listened to it in preparation for this.
1: Okay. A lot of effort goes into this podcast. And actually, I interviewed one of the world-leading experts on protein restriction in the first episode.
0: Oh, wow. So do you was it a, an argument?
1: No. No. She's a, a great – so the real good scientists don't argue. It, there's no, like, argument. It's a hypothesis. is a lie until it's proven to be true. And right. the, the real experts in the field are always respectful, right? So I, I came from academics. They're always respectful. It's not like this shit yes. show that you see out there. Um, but the highly respected individuals typically don't argue with each other and they're very interested in other perspectives and learning very open-minded.
0: It's also true that people who have the truth don't need to yell it. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I, uh, had a great conversation with a, he, this would be a great guest for your podcast. His name is Dr. Samuel Buckner, and he is an expert in muscle, muscle physiology, muscle hypertrophy. This guy's awesome. And I was like. Hey, um, Sam, do you go and and, you know, do you do a lot of the social media? I don't see you all over. He goes, no, I, the truth eventually comes out. The truth eventually comes out when there is a, a an enormous amount of evidence in this thing that the, the truth ultimately comes out. So that's where I focus. And, and he said that that's where he focuses his time. So anyway, uh, I have my own yeah. podcast and it's called shocking. The Dr. Gabrielle Lyon show, terrible name. I just did it so people could find it. comes out every like Tuesday. <laughs> Yeah. the worst i i wanted to call it something else but uh anyway that got kiboshed.
0: what did you call it when did you want to did you want to call it muscle queen
1: <laughs> no you know that you know i'm only one. by the way i'm 5'1 what? Like, 100 on 110 pounds on a good day
0: <laughs> wow. amazing um, i had no idea
1: i'm ripped but i'm 110 i'm a very a very tiny person so you have
0: a big spirit
1: i do and a big mouth um so there you go <laughs> yeah yeah so um Yes. So I have a podcast and um I, I think it's great and it's really all for the listener. They can find it on all all places you can listen to things and on YouTube. So I in, interview the guests. A lot of times they're in my studio. Um I uh, they can find me on Instagram, Twitter. Um, you are not in the States. You're in Australia, New Zealand.
0: No, I'm in LA.
1: You're in LA? Are you kidding? And you're doing yeah. this remote. I am coming to LA in January. I'll see you in person. I can't believe you're in LA. Okay. okay great. Well, um yeah so if, if you are interested, I do have a concierge. I have a full medical practice, by the way, I see patients two days a week. I have a full team. I have a physician They're They're all kind of military based. and amazing individuals. Uh, Brian wow. Stepanenko and I have a, a PA named Colleen and uh health coach, Alexis Belrose. And I have, um, registered dietitian, Kylie Fignano. We have a whole team, white glove service. So if you know someone wow, so much instagram, fun you can you can apply and then a newsletter and a free protocol
0: excellent and your handles on twitter and instagram dr Gabriel dr. line
1: yes sir yep okay and wait and when does excellent this wow so when does this come out
0: this this will come out in two weeks
1: okay so i, I want to say three one weeks more thing. can i say one more thing
0: yeah yeah
1: so I work very closely with military operations. Um, so if anyone has been following me for any length of time, uh, I'm married to a SEAL. I work in multiple domains within uh, special operations. And there is something called Folds of Honor. And it, it's called Seven Expedition. So it's Triple Seven Expedition, where a good friend of mine, Mike Sorelle and Andy Stump, and they were just on Joe Rogan, are going to be jumping Seven continents in seven days, seven jumps, seven continents in seven days to raise money for folds of honor. So if people are interested in that, I think it's a, it's, it's jumping to, what? Jumping out of airplanes. Oh, I when you just said
0: jumping. Like, i like, as if I know what that is, I'm not <laughs> a Navy What a terrible so, idea, jumping okay. out of
1: airplanes. Um Yeah. So they are doing that to raise money for military families. So military families that, um, you know, to provide support and resources, education and stuff. So it's, it's great.
0: Amazing. If anybody's interested, please check that out. Dr. Gabrielle Lyon, thanks so much for joining us here on the Zaddy Zone. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Zaddy Zone. If you found this useful slash enjoyable, go ahead and hit subscribe and then feel free to share it with your friends and rate it, but only rate it if you're going to rate it five stars. Deal? Love you.